0: Welcome to the new Freedom Church podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. You know, gifts and Christmas, they kind of go hand in hand. There were three gifts that the wise men brought to present to Jesus. We don't know how many wise men, but we know there were three gifts. We Have sang songs about those throughout the ages and generations and made traditions of gifts and giving. And to be honest, we all really do enjoy a good gift that's given to us out of a meaningful heart. We also have this. propensity on the inside of us, that there is a, a desire that we want to be gift givers. There, there is, an, is something innate in us that uh, we just, we can't hardly wait to bring something that we have sought after, we have made with our hands, something that by great toil and time we have put together to bring to someone that we love. Uh, receiving a meaningful gift is certainly something that goes hand in hand with this season, but gifts that are put in boxes and bags are secondary. To the greatest gift, the gift that we received at Christmas, the gift of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And there are so many aspects to this greatest gift that if you think about the aspects of Christmas and you kind of put it into human terms, it's hard to really grasp it in human terms. But if you put it into human terms, it would be like uh, gazing upon a diamond. And when you turn that diamond, it just has another shimmer, another shine. There's something else that glistens. Every time you turn it, there is like a new revelation of its beauty. And so it is with Christmas. There are so many aspects of this Christ child that as we turn, as we look, as we age and time goes by, we start to see different things about this time of year, about this story, that perhaps we have never seen before. Maybe it is in the form of hope, when hope came down, or, or love the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts. Maybe it is the, the time that we need to receive the peace of God in our hearts and our lives for we may be lacking just a little bit in one of God's greatest gifts, and that is joy. But today and next week, I wanna share with you two aspects of this greatest gift. Today, I wanna share with you the aspect of God with us. We know this as Emmanuel. And then I wanna share with you next week, God for us. We know this as God, our advocate. And they go, in this, uh, in this time of year, they go really uh, hand in glove. They go right together. Before I get into the message today about God with us, Emmanuel, I want to share with you a story that is about 100 years old. Uh, this story is, is written in another uh, time, another era. It's written about an a, a island, a place that is really nowhere we have ever visited, but it's somewhere that will resonate very true and very real to us. C.S. Lewis once wrote about an island that was named Neatrib. He said this, "In the middle of winter, when fog and rain abound the most, the Niatribs celebrate this festival that they call Xmas." And for 50 days they prepare in grand fashion, as I shall describe. They make Xmas cards with pictures of birds and branches, green pickly, uh, prickly leaves, and men slaying on sleds going down snowy fields. And they dutifully exchange gifts, yet the Nyatribians are unwilling to say what the pictures of this festival actually means. For the Nyatribians, exchanging these gifts that they mostly purchased on credit and they could not really afford, they do this to give gifts out of gratitude, not out of gratitude or joy, but rather out of obligation. These gifts often seem odd because they're not the sort of thing that anyone would actually buy for themselves. And if you would ask the sellers of these gifts, no less than the purchasers, they become pale and weary as they explain all of the Xmas going to and fro. Any man who came into the city of Nyatriban would have looked at this season as a great public calamity had fallen upon the city. Exhaustion is familiar in the time of Xmas season. And when the day of exmas finally arrives... The Nyatribeans are so undone with their preparations and struggle that they could barely even rise the next day out of bed. But Lewis describes another festival, one celebrated by a much smaller few people on the same day. Having approached this holiday in a profoundly different way, those who celebrate Christmas rise early with deep joy to gather their loved ones together for a feast. Then they go to the temple, surrounded by images of a woman with a newborn baby adorned by animals and shepherds alike. If you haven't noticed, Niatrib is Britain spelled backward. Lewis was not afraid to critique his own country, though he respected and admired his country. There were things about it that he saw were amiss. So this year, instead of loneliness, may Advent the celebration of Christmas, be about relational love. Instead of exhaustion and obligation, may it be about renewal. Instead of stress, may we receive the Christ child and the peace which was spoken to us those many generations and decades ago. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. May we be the people who celebrate Christmas, not Xmas. Amen. The very first example of of this hope that we see, uh, of course, as you learned last week, was shared in Genesis. And Pastor Matt did a great job explaining that. But there is another uh, newer version of that same renewed hope that we find in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah gives us this telling of a promise that is yet to be it is this this grand desire of god's people for ages and for eons that had welled up in their heart maybe just maybe there could be something that is different than the taskmasters that we are used to in egypt maybe just maybe instead of being exiles in babylon we can receive the joy and the hope that god is renewing the creation that god is doing something afresh and anew in isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 we see this messianic prophecy, and here's what it says Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will sh- conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. This is Isaiah's prophecy, 600 years prior to the advent of Christ, Isaiah prophesied that this day would come. God's people live with this hope brimming in their hearts, just waiting. Maybe this could be the generation. Maybe this could be the time. Maybe the advent is for our day and for our era. God's people live with this hope of advent, which means arrival. And so when we celebrate advent, we're talking about the arrival of God on the scene. Emmanuel, God with us. Let's turn over to the New Testament gospel writer of John. John tells us this in verse 14. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth, full of grace and full truth. Of truth, The gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, give us an account of the birth of Christ. And usually this time of year, we will retell that and we'll read about the genealogy and the lineage of how uh, Joseph traces his lineage back to Adam and also Mary traces her lineage back to Adam. And so we see that they have the, these, uh, these royalty uh, markers in their nobility and in their, in their lineage. And so Jesus comes forth as this one that is noble and, and is, is rightful in his place. But John in my opinion, gives us a much more interesting telling of the story of the birth of Christ. The gospel writer Mark doesn't even include it anywhere. Matthew and Luke go in great detail, and John gives us what I would say is not only an interesting telling of the birth of Christ, but also a very theological, and I would even contend the most comforting narrative of the birth of Christ. He talks about the word Jesus is the word of God, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. This is the word we know as incarnation, the incarnate God. God came to us in human form. God's enfleshment is Jesus. He pitched his tent with us. He got right down into the middle of our world, and this God became flesh. All year long, this has been the year of the good news, of the gospel, of announcing God's great design and great plan for his people. And I would say to you that God in flesh is good, good news. Can I get someone to say, yes, it is. This fulfillment of God with us was a game changer because previous to this, to come close to God, you would have to bring an acceptable sacrifice. Previous to this time, in order to feel the, the, the nearness of Uh, the approval of God in your heart, you would have to not only bring the acceptable sacrifice, but it had to be done the right time of the year. And you had to bring it to the right people. You couldn't just go anywhere and feel the presence of God. You had to go to the temple. You had to go to the intermarry, the the one that was the the mediator, the in-between person. You had to go in the right time, in the right fashion, with the right sacrifice. And then if you did all of the check marks, if you made all the boxes just right, then you could get a sense of God's approval, You could get a sense that you had done the the ritualistic things and ceremonial rites to, to feel the forgiveness of sin. And so you could go into a place of worship, you could feel that reprieve, but you may not get there until the next ceremony, until the next feast happen. But this God in flesh dwelling among us is a complete game changer because now instead of having to go through the rites and rituals and ceremonies, we have somehow been given this great access to God with us, Emmanuel, that we have access to the throne that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and help when? In our time of need. When we need it the most, that is when God has given it to us. And so in the Old Testament we see this sense of begging and working and preparing to get into God's presence. But in the New Testament, we have this great revelation of no longer being beggars, but now basking in the presence of Almighty God. In the Old Testament, there are fears of losing God's favor. That if you misstepped, if you didn't do it right, if you failed today, then you had to now go through all the washings and the cleansings again and bring the sacrifice again. And you were outcast from the society for a while and you had to earn your way back. And in the Old Testament, there was this sense of of fearing to lose the presence of God. King David, we know that he was said to be a man after God's own heart. And he was very familiar with what it was like to have the sweet fellowship of God's presence he would sing unto the Lord in the quiet times. He would, he would worship God. There are times where with reckless abandon, King David would worship with all that he had. He wouldn't withhold anything back from the worship that he would give God. And so in return, he would feel this great presence, this great comfort knowing that God was with him and, and ordering his steps and walking all through life with him. But even after feeling this, David finds himself at a very low point. David blew it. David messed up. I guess you could say that of anybody in the Old Testament, David was the worst of all sinners. In some ways, he was the closest to God, but then he also blew it in such a way that he was an adulterer, a liar, and a murderer. And here we see David being at his lowest point in Psalm 51 and 10. Look at this position, this, uh, what I would say, uh, a posture of begging God. Look what he says. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. In other words, what he's saying is, I want what I used to have. I remember what it used to be like. I, I recall, I can reminisce, I can really bring back to remembrance what it was like to be close to you. I don't want to be far from you. I know that the joy and the peace and the love is close to you. And he says, renew in me a steadfast spirit. And then he says this in verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You see, King David didn't have the kind of access to God that you and I, after the cross and after the resurrection, now have access to God. He didn't have the same kind of relationship and walk with God that you and I are afforded because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, This God with us, this incarnation means that regardless of anything that we have done, regardless of anything that happens in our life, regardless of of any kind of misstep or fall or trial or mess up that we can possibly conceive of in our lives, we are but one prayer, we are but one step, we are but one heart inclination away from saying, God, I wanna be close to you again. I wanna be close to you again. We don't have to do ritualistic washings. We don't have to bring the best offering. We don't have to give 10 Hail Marys and and five beads of the rosary. We don't have to do all of the different things that religion has told us that we have to do to be close to God. Because God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, is our grand promise that he is not far away. That he is right here. We don't have to beg. We can bask in the presence of God. But we do learn a lesson from David. We understand that there is this contrition. There is this repentance. There is this brokenness of heart when we have broken fellowship with God that we have this sense of I need, I desire, I want things to be right with me and God again. What can I do to make things right again. You can do nothing to make things right again. Jesus did it all. You simply accept it by faith and believe in what He said, and you can be right with God again. That's how we all draw near. There is none of us on a pecking order or level that's higher than another person. At the cross, it is a level ground. We are all there at the cross. And Advent or Christmas is both a reminder and an invitation. It is a reminder and invitation that you no longer have to beg to be close to God, but anytime, anywhere, you too can be close to God. He is God with us, Emmanuel, which means he's relatable. God with us is relatable. I know it's hard sometimes when we read the scriptures to think that God is, is very relatable or that we can even measure up to some of the standards that we read in here. We read as great heroes of faith and we think there's no way I can live a life like them. I don't have that kind of faith. I don't have that kind of uh, tenacity. I wish that I had that kind of story. I wish I had that kind of boldness that I could preach like Peter, that I could stand up on the day of Pentecost and 2000 people could be saved. But we measure ourselves with the great heroes of the scriptures in their highlight reels. What we tend to not do when we're alone and when we're down and when we've fallen, we tend not to go to their stories of the other parts of their life where Peter was pulling out the sword and cutting off the ear of Malchus. We tend not to go to the parts of the story where Peter got out of the boat. Yes, he walked on water, but he started to sink because he took his eyes off Jesus. We tend not to look at the parts in the, of the story where they all, every one of the disciples, fled and abandoned him on the night when he needed them the most. And so we can't really find ourselves lining up and measuring up with their highlights, but if we would get very honest about this Word of God, then we could see certainly the humanity of the followers of Jesus all times and all ages that fell short, and yet they looked up fell short and yet they realized, I can embrace this God for myself. They fell short and yet they realized there is a time of coming to, the, to, to God once again and my heart being broken before him to say, I no longer just want to be a standby, a standoff, a, a bystander in this thing. I want to be close to you. And God is relatable. In the incarnation, we see what happens in Hebrews chapter four. It says this, seeing then, that we have a great high priest. Jesus is this great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast the confession of our faith. Let us hold fast. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tested as we are yet without sin. Notice, it says that we don't have a high priest that's so far removed that he can't understand what we've gone through. But rather, Jesus, this God man, this man in flesh, God in flesh, human walking with us, this tabernacling with us, was tempted in every single way that we are tempted. Just when you think that God doesn't know what you're going through, you can go back to this verse and you can draw some comfort to know He understands. He's been there. All points like we are tempted. There's not a test that any man has ever gone through. There's not a test that any woman has ever uh, encountered that God doesn't already have an acquaintance with it. He knows. He's been tempted, he's been tested, he's been tried, just like we have. But here's the difference, he didn't sin. Perfect, perfection. And so now we can be relatable to this God because he can sympathize with what we're going through. Since the birth of Jesus, many controversies have swirled about, well, is he divine or is he human? Is he all God or is he all man? And the answer is yes, he's both. He is the divine human. He is God in flesh dwelling among us. And what this makes him is relatable. In other words, you could say he gets us. He gets us. He understands what you've gone through. He understands where you are right now. God gets us. He knows what it's like to face hardship and trial and betrayal and testing, and insurmountable odds stacked against you. He knows what it's like to have the government against him, his friends abandon him, foes on the outside and foes on the inside. Jesus knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be pierced, to be broken, to be wounded, to be hurt. He understands pain. He understands sorrow, and he's acquainted with grief, and he knows you because he gets what you're going through. See, unlike idols that are made by man's hands, God feels what we feel. Imagine, imagine an idol, a stone carving, can't feel, can't sympathize, can't empathize or relate to what you're going through. But Jesus, he knows. When you have joy, there is joy In the heavenlies when you have peace you're experiencing a gift and a grace from God when you have pain he feels it when you're pierced he feels it and some of us find it hard to believe especially in times when we are isolated or when we feel alone it's easy for us to get a notion that we're the only ones going through what we're going through it's it's really a human uh, trick of the mind that puts us in a place in a status where no one else has ever been through what we're going through. Where yeah, others may have had a hard time, but no one really understands what I'm dealing with. This is why that we go to great lengths to try to explain ourselves. We so desperately desire for our side of the story to be told that we can write entire pages in journals about how we were wronged, how we were overlooked how we were set back, how we were slighted. We can, we can easily just go on and on and on about all of the ways that we have a special case. We have a special reason to be mad. We have a special reason to not grant forgiveness. We have a special case here why that we should be grudge holding. We can do this. And when we feel this angst on the inside, we get lonely because we have separated ourselves from the only one that can bring solace. We separate ourselves from the only one that really knows and understands and really cares about what we're going through. I had a wise man once tell me that if you travel through this life and you can have five true friends in life, you are of all men most blessed. Five friends that truly hear you, they see you, they love you. They will sympathize with you. They will listen to you. They will bear with you in the scruples of your weaknesses. The scriptures tell us that in the body of Christ, in this household of faith, this fellowship and communion of saints, that we are to bear with the scruples of one another. And if one rejoices, what are we to do? We rejoice with them. Even finding yourself in a place of brokenness and tiredness and loneliness at Christmas, there is this this grand hope on the inside that we can rejoice with someone who's rejoicing. But the scriptures also tell us that we mourn with those who are mourning. And so when we come into the fellowship of faith, we don't just get one friend or two friends or a handful of friends. We get an entire family of God. We are not alone as we think we're alone. We may feel lonely, but we are not alone. He walks with us. He goes with us. He understands us. We have a solace, a place for our soul. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The scriptures tell us that he sets the lonely in a family. Psalm 68 and 6 says that God sets the lonely in not just a family, but families. He gives us this hope, this divine encounter that, that we are now part of a larger family. It is the family of God. And it's not just the saints who are gathering at a place that is at 840 Miller Road, and we call it New Freedom Church, but across the barriers and across the towns and across the, the seas and across the rivers, there are people that are part of and making up the family of God. They believe that Jesus is the Savior, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Psalm 34 and 18 says that we are not alone because he is near to the brokenhearted. We're We're talking about God being so close that he is near when our hearts break. Did you know that when you are brokenhearted, that is when God draws even closer? He is near to the brokenhearted. Deuteronomy 31 and 6 says that he is faithful and that he will never leave us. And never forsake us. These are Old Testament promises. These are Old Testament times where we used to, uh, our ancestors would beg to be in the presence of God, and yet they had these precious promises that God would be with them, that He would set them in places where they could have fellowship and communion. But it was just a foreshadowing, it was just a type and a shadow of what was to come. Because in 2 Timothy, it tells us that when we are faithless, He remains faithful. How many are glad for a faithful God? When we are faithless, he remains faithful. That when we want to withdraw and go into our shell, he comes and runs and gets close to us. Then when our heart is breaking, when our heart is aching, when our mind is shaking, that's when God is close. He is closer than a brother. He is near to the broken hearted. And Emmanuel is a reminder that No matter what has happened in your life to this point, God is as close as a prayer. For so many people, the holidays, they can hurt. The holidays can be hurtful because it is such a reminder of either who or what we have lost. It may not just be an empty seat at the dinner table, but it may be the loss of something that we have invested so much into. Maybe the loss of a career. It may be the loss of health and vigor and vitality that we once used to have, and now we feel this weakness in our body that we just can't do what we used to do. Maybe the loss of a dream. It may be the loss of a marriage. Maybe it's the loss of a friendship. And so the holidays seem to exacerbate these feelings of loneliness, of being isolated, But understanding the gift of God through him being present, God in flesh dwelling among among us, understanding us, Emmanuel, God with us is a reminder that we are never, ever alone. Regardless of how lonely we feel, we are never alone. And one last point is he is here to comfort. It says that This God in flesh, Emmanuel, was wrapped. He was put in a physical body. And he was full of two aspects. He was full of grace and full of truth. Now, usually I like grace when it comes to wanting to be desired. I I want grace in my life when when I want comfort. Something that I desire is, is that I want God's grace. I want people's grace. But it says that not only was Jesus full of grace, he was also full of truth. And if all you offer in the form of comfort is grace, if all you offer is pat on the back, it's going to be okay, just just keep doing what you're doing, then you're not a very good friend. Because while grace, grace brings comfort and relief, truth brings freedom. You cannot be a true friend You cannot be a real fellow companion without being a truth teller. And that's exactly what God's word does for us is it tells us the truth about our condition. John 14 and 16 says this, and I'll pray the father and he'll give you another, look at this word, comforter. This is the grace part that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. Jesus is full of both. Whom the world cannot receive because it has not seen him, neither does it know him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. How close is our God? He is in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in us. God's not far away. In the Old Testament, he was this transcendent God far away. In the New Testament, he is eminent Emmanuel, God with us. He says this, verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Here's what God says to us at Christmas. You've tried, you've worked. With your labor, with your sweat and your toil, you have come to me. Generation after generation have come to me. But at Christmas, at Advent, Emmanuel says, I will come to you. This is the great promise of the Christmas story is that we as lowly travelers seeking something which we really don't know what will suffice finally receive the relief we desire. When we acknowledge the Christ child, this joy at Christmas that God comes to us. You see the greatest gift of all, is to know that regardless of what happens, your guardian God is always present. You're not alone today. As a child of God, you have this grand promise of Emmanuel, God right there with you. See, gifts are great this time of year, but if the only gifts that you have are the ones that are wrapped in boxes with bows, you will quickly move on to the next thing because that will never fully satisfy. Regardless of the packaging, regardless of what's inside the package, there's nothing you can buy, nothing you can attain. There's no title lofty enough. There's no bank account big enough that will ever give you the true peace that every one of us are looking for. At Christmas, we turn our focus, maybe just for a moment, but the whole world, this whole weary world turns its focus to the true gift, the gift of God's presence wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. See, Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us. He is your guardian God now and forever. Will you receive this great gift at Christmas this year? Will you receive the gift of God being so close that he is just a breath prayer away, saying, come Lord, I receive you now. You don't have to go looking for him. The scripture says, he will come to you.